Father in heaven, we thank you again. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing to be able to hear and to understand your words. Lord, I pray that you will please give us grace so that we may know the power of thy grace to know how we can have victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Lord, I thank you that you've heard this prayer, and I trust that you've answered it, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We saw that God is showing us that it is a lie from Satan to say that we cannot overcome. That is his sophistry. That is something that the devil teaches that certainly comes from the pit of hell, and it certainly does not come from heaven at all. Therefore, what the Lord wants us to do is he wants us to realize and claim the promises of God that we really can overcome, but we're going to have to do it through a sweet connection with Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, how did Jesus do it? What were some gems, what were some keys that Jesus had that enabled him to overcome so that he could be a model to you and I on how we, we can overcome? Let's go to the book of Luke chapter 1. In the book of Luke chapter 1, let's notice what the Bible says. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to consider verse 35. What were some of the keys in Jesus' experience that enabled him to go ahead and overcome? Notice what the Bible says in Luke 1 and verse 35. If we're there, please say amen. The Bible says in Luke 1 and verse 35, notice what it says. It says, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. This was the secret of Jesus' power to overcome all of the temptations of the devil is that he, though he had a nature of Adam after the fall, he was also filled with the Holy Spirit. And therefore, every single time at any point in his youth, in his young adult life and in his adult life, when the temptation of the natural nature would call, he would have the divine nature within to fight it and overcome it. Therefore, it was not by might nor by power in the life of Jesus, but it was by the Holy Spirit that Christ was able to overcome every temptation that came his way. And so it is for you and I that if we are going to overcome, then we must also do it under the same principles how Jesus did it. We must overcome as he overcame. So first and foremost, we need the Holy Spirit for that is what Jesus had. Now, how do we get him? Go to the book of Luke, the 11th chapter. In Luke, the 11th chapter, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? The Bible says in Luke 11, notice what it says as we consider verse 9. And Luke 11, verse 9 is synonymous with Matthew chapter 7, 7. You remember Jesus talks about asking it shall be given you. Seeking you shall find and knocking the door shall be opened unto you. Well, when you look at Luke, the 11th chapter in verse 9, it's the same wordings of Jesus. But I want you to see how Jesus helps us understand what his focus was when he taught this principle. It says in Luke 11 and verse 9, and I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now he brings out a greater, more forceful point of what he was talking about with the asking principle. It says in verse 11, If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? It says, If ye then being evil... Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So therefore, if we are going to have victory as Christ had victory, then we must be filled with the Holy Spirit as Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus had a praying mother, therefore Christ was able to be filled from the womb. If many of us did not have parents like that, or if as parents we did not do that, the Bible says, redeem the time, for the days are evil. Ask, beginning today. Because another principle of the Bible in James 4, 2, is that we have not because we ask not. Sometimes people say, why is it that I don't have power? Why is it that whenever temptation comes, I just surrender over and over and over again, very easily, very quickly. And the reason why, brothers and sisters, is because you have not because you ask not. Now, when you ask for the Holy Spirit, understand he's going to come based on his agenda and not ours. Go to the book of John, chapter 16, and let's find out his agenda. Number one, 
ask for the Holy Spirit. Number two, understand that when he comes, he's going to come on his agenda, not yours. The Bible says exactly what his agenda is in John the 16th chapter. In John 16, notice what the Bible says as we consider verse 7. The Bible says in John 16 and verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now look at what happens when he comes. And this is why I'm saying when you ask for the Holy Spirit, understand he has an agenda. The Bible says, what's his agenda? Verse 8. And when he has come, he will do what? Reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So when the Spirit of God comes, he has a mission. He has an agenda. The agenda is, I want to reprove the world of sin. As an example, you and I may be getting ready to go out and do a missionary job, a missionary uh, work, and we want to go ahead and share Jesus with others in the field. Well, here it is. We're getting ready to go out into the field and share Jesus, and we're praying for the power of the Holy Spirit. So we, we, we say, Lord, pour out your Spirit upon us so that we may go out and be an effective witness. And Jesus may say to some ladies, before I give you power to go out and witness, you need to change your clothes. Did you catch that? In other words, the Spirit of God, when he comes, he's going to come on his agenda. When we ask for the Spirit of God, we're saying, Lord, give me power to be a witness. And the Spirit of God may say, well, I'm going to give you power. But one of the ways I want to do it before you even go out is I need you to change your clothes. Because the way you're dressed right now, there would be people paying more attention to your body than the Word of God. There are many individuals today that are going out in the field with very sincere hearts, brothers and sisters. But they are dressed in manners that are offensive to God and will lead individuals into sin. I remember one time I was at a pastor's house and I was staying there. And, it just so, and, and you know, a friend of mine, she came by the house and she didn't even know. But brothers and sisters, she came to the house to do some canvassing. And when she was knocking on that door, brothers and sisters, there was so much of her body that could be seen. I, I didn't understand. I thought to myself, because I heard her voice as the pastor was talking to her. I was in the room that I was in, but I heard the voice of the canvasser. And I said, look at that. Somebody's canvassing. So I was happy. And I said, praise the Lord. And the pastor's like, oh, yes. You know, she didn't know he was a pastor. But here it is that when she was there doing that, brothers and sisters, you got to understand, when, when she was there doing that, I heard the voice. I said, that sounds familiar. And I came out to look and I said, hey. And I knew that it was the young lady. And she said, hi. And when I saw her, I was just like, whoa. And I thought to myself, I said, you know what? As many psychopaths as this world has today, as many individuals that are in this world that are out of control, the last thing anyone needs to do is dress in a manner to help pull the psychotic agencies within their minds out of them. And that's why God gave dress reform to his daughters. So here it is that we might find ourselves wanting to go ahead and be a witness and the spirit of God may come and say, before you go out in the field, you need to start all over right here. God has an agenda when he sends his spirit. And the first work is to reprove the world of sin. Some people are asking for the blessings of God. Oh, Lord, give me money. Lord, I want money. You got a whole world out there that has this name it and claim it type ministry and the prosperity ministries and all these things. Oh, Lord, bless us with all these finances and so on and so forth. And individuals are living and not even returning tithe and offering. So the Spirit of God may come. We're saying, Father, please bless these efforts that we're about to do. Bless this job. Bless our brand new business endeavor. Bless us, Lord, and grant us the power of thy spirit so we can have a successful business. And God may say, before I bless and give you any success in your business, you need to come back and be faithful in returning tithe and offering. The Spirit of God comes on his agenda, brothers and sisters. He is not to be put on our agenda. We can call upon the Spirit and we can try to use him, but we must understand that we are not to use the Spirit of God. We are to let the Spirit of God use us. And when he comes, he's going to reprove the world of sin. That's his mission. That's his goal. So understand that, yes, we need the Spirit of God. There's no question about that because we can't overcome without him. But we must understand that when he comes, he has an agenda. And his first step in his agenda is to reprove the world of sin. So don't be surprised that while you're praying and asking God for all these great things, and you're saying, oh, and the biggest one of all, oh, yes, the Spirit of God is going to definitely do this. How many times? I cannot begin to tell you that as a young man, 
And I do consider myself young. As a young man, when I give God's word to others, many a times parents, if they have wayward children, they will typically come to me and say, Brother Lemon, you know, we have this wayward child or wayward children. Could you please help them out? And you know what I always tell parents? I say, well, you let me in your business. So now that you let me in your business, I'm going to have to talk to you. And the first thing I want to do is find out what are the parents doing? Because you will find that according to the Bible, most of the reason why children practice sin so much is because of the parents. It's a fact. It's a biblical fact. Adventist home page 16 tells us that when the husband and wife, it says to a large extent, the mother and the father create the atmosphere of the home. And it says, and when husband and wife or mother and father, when they harbor difference against one another, it says the children will partake of the same spirit. Parents, it seems like when husbands and wives, when they do not allow themselves to truly get along. I mean, we all know how to put up a front in front of the brethren. But what I'm talking about in home, in home when nobody else is looking, all doors are locked, all windows are closed, and we can be ourselves. There are certain aspects about our characters, brothers and sisters, that we would be ashamed if it were ever written on the walls. Well, here it is that many a times parents will go ahead and do these different things. And brothers and sisters, you'd be amazed. You'd be amazed. At how many times it is as if the husband and wife, when they start arguing and getting into all that fussing and fighting and all these other things, that it is as if we just opened the door and invited the demons to come into our house. And you know what's so interesting about the devil? The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says that the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, have you ever watched a lion when it attacks a herd? You ever watched a lion when it attacks a herd? If you watch a lion when it attacks a herd, you'll find that when a herd of animals are going by, who does the lion go after? Does the lion go after the adults, adults or does it go after the babies? If the lion has a choice and sees that there are adult animals and young animals, the lion always goes after the young animals. Why? Because they're what? Weaker. Parents. When we harbor bitterness and difference in our hearts against one another, and we do not let Jesus take those things away from our hearts, we must understand that literally it is as if we bust the door open and allow demons to come into our home. And the demons say, I already got you two because you're arguing, so now I'm going to go after your weak children. And the demons begin to mess with the minds of the precious little children. Because they're weak and they typically don't have a strong stand in Jesus. And this is how we get children who sometimes become so smart that they start saying things like, you know, I don't think I believe in Jesus anymore, mom and dad. They begin to say things like, you know what, I'm getting tired of this Christian thing, mom and dad. I'm getting older now. This stuff doesn't make sense to me anymore like it used to. Why do we have to have family worship? All of a sudden, there's all of this rebuttal. There's all this kickback. And a lot of times we're saying, why? And God says, it's because of you. Because of me. Which leads me to the second reason why Jesus was so victorious. One, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, but there was something else. Go to Luke chapter 1 again, because this is a perfect segue right into our next point. Luke chapter 1. Notice what the Bible says as we consider Luke 1, and now we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, verses 28 to 30. Luke chapter 1, 28 to 30. Another reason why Jesus was successful and overcame is not only because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, even though that was the foundation of his success. But the Bible says in Luke 1, 28, and the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor. With God. Another reason why Jesus had so much success in his human life and he was victorious over sin was because he had godly parents. The Bible says Mary was favored of God. The Bible says she was blessed above women. And while it is not true that Mary was some type of person who could never become sinless. No, brothers and sisters, that's not what the Bible teaches. Mary was a sinner, but she was a sinner saved by grace. She believed in the soon coming Messiah. 
And she was by faith waiting for him to come. But she was amazed when she saw that she would be the vessel that would bear him. Brothers and sisters, that's an honor. That is a privilege for God to have come to her and said, I'm choosing you to let you be the one to bear the Messiah and bring him into this world. What an honor. Do you understand that when God looked at Mary and Joseph, he had to have a serious trust with them to say, I'm investing. You know, one time I was studying with a, a Muslim brother. And when I was studying with the Muslim brother, he said that he had a problem believing in the gospel. And one of the reasons why was it because he said that John 3.16 says that Jesus was begotten. And he says, and you Christians say that Jesus was God. And he said, and I have a problem with that because how could God be begotten? And of course, he went down the list with that. And, you know, I was thinking about it. And I, and, and I remember I asked him, I said, have you ever read what the original language says on the word begotten? He said, no, I never looked at it. I said, you should look at it. And the reason why I told him that is because I said, there are two Greek words that are used for the word begotten. One is called monogeneo. Another one is called monogenes. Now, monogeneo means brought forth or created, like many of the children in this room are, young people, and we ourselves. Monogenes, however, is different. Monogenes means something different. And when the Bible says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, the word begotten was not monogeneo, it was monogenes. You know what monogenes means? The only one like me. In other words, if we paraphrased John 3.16, what it says is, for God so loved the world that he gave the only one that was like him, that you should not perish but that we may have eternal life. And when I told that Muslim brother that, it literally brought tears to his eyes. He was floored by it. And we began to study deeper into it. Now, imagine God going to a woman and to a household and saying, I am choosing to let the only one like me be subject in your hands. And I'm counting on you. Train him right. Brothers and sisters, Mary was well favored. Mary and Joseph understood something very important. What did they understand? Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and let's find out. What did Mary and Joseph understand? You see, as Jews, they understood a very important biblical principle when it comes to parenthood. And we would do well to consider the same thing. Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy 6, starting at verse 4, you'll find that the Bible shows us what it is that Mary and Joseph had an understanding of, and they clearly demonstrated a great faith in this to the point that God says, I am willing to trust you to rear up the only one that is like me in human flesh. Now, notice what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter six, starting at verse four. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. and Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. It was God's instruction to Israel. Teach your children my law. Put it within their minds. Instruct them in my ways. And God was so serious about this that look at the language of what he says of how parents were supposed to raise their children. Look at what it says. It says, teach them diligently to thy children. It says, and thou shalt... Talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way. It says, and when thou liest down and when thou risest up and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not. Brothers and sisters, God was very detailed with the parents. He said, instruct them. Do you know what most parents do? We come to church and we put on the holiness acting and then we get home and we play video games. We watch television programs we have no business watching. We play music that we know we would dare not play if the pastor was sitting right there in the congregation with us or sitting in our homes with us. All of us, it's just like this double lifestyle going on. Language that we use in the church, we use a different language when we're at home. You know, brothers and sisters, my greatest desire, one of my greatest desires is that my wife and my children will see the same exact man when I stand in front of the people that I am in my backyard, in my house, when we go bike riding or when we do anything even in the name of recreation. Brothers and sisters, 
God says that this was supposed, my truth and my law was supposed to be something that was lived out in the life every day. It was not just a Sabbath thing. That's the problem with many of us. Many of us are trying to have a holy experience one day a week. And anytime you do that, that's exactly what you are, a weak person. God says, no, you can't experience holiness one day a week. The Sabbath is a weekly reminder of what we're supposed to be every day. Holy. Holy people. And Mary and Joseph understood this, and that's why God could trust them. Now, as of August, let's see, as of December 7th, 2007, my mother died. As of August 6th, 2011, my father died. I stand before you as a young man without parents. And my mother and my father did not raise me like this at all. My parents allowed me to do what I want, when I want, how I want. They made gross mistakes that have left permanent scars upon my life. But in the closing scenes of both of their lives, they both died under the message of the third angel. God allowed me to witness to my mother and my father. My sister played a very tremendous role with my father in getting him to accept Christ. I came in on the back end and got him to accept Jesus through the third angel's message. And I did it one week before he died. God did that. We did the same thing with my mother. Nobody was able to lead my mother to Christ. My mother, my mother, it was amazing. My mother had a minister gentleman who was a good friend of hers from the Virgin Islands. That's where she's from, St. Thomas. And my mother, you know, she didn't have... Um, any spiritual leadership in her life. And I remember the day when I first told her I became Seventh-day Adventist 20 years ago, and she thought I was absolutely crazy. But over time, she watched me, and she saw this boy is serious. My mother knew Dwayne always jumps into something, and eventually he leaves it. But for some reason, this one stuck. And then here it is that I, now I'm going ahead, and I met a, a young lady. I met my wife at a Bible study. A friend of mine was at college, and he said, hey, I'm bringing somebody to the Bible study tonight. He brought her by, and that was my wife. Shook her hand and greeted her and welcomed her to the study. She came in. We studied with her. She got baptized. A couple of years later, we courted and eventually we got married. And here it is. My mother sees, okay, well, let's see what he does now. And she noticed that even in our marriage, we were conducting ourselves differently from my other seven siblings. Then my wife, she got pregnant. She had our children. And before you know, now we're parents of four. So she's really watching now. (laughs) And she sees everything that's happening. She wants to see, is Dwayne going to be successful? Is going to fail? You know, she's watching. But she's seeing the changes. She sees, oh, okay, they're being consistent. Oh, wow. Most importantly, she saw the fruit of God's blessings as a result of faithfulness. And brothers and sisters, don't get me wrong. I, I failed beyond understanding. There were times I failed so bad as a husband. I failed so bad as a father. I mean, I dropped the ball. And it's only the grace of God that I stand before you today. And I'm thankful that I still have children who love daddy, love mommy, love each other and still have a love for Jesus. It's only by the grace of God. So I'm not talking to you as if I'm talking down to you like we did everything perfect or what have you. There have been mistakes. Perhaps that's why I'm so passionate about it. And here it is that mom saw this boy has changed. And I'll never forget when my mother finally said, she said, you know what? I will receive no spiritual counsel from any other man except you. And she said, I make you my spiritual counselor now. I want you to begin to teach me the Bible. And I want you to tell me about Jesus. And I would start studying with mom. And of course, when she got to her deathbed, I was there the very night before she died. And I remember I was counseling my mother and I told mom over the phone. I said, mom, I said, it's all right. Mom was breathing. She died of cancer and her body was deteriorating. And here it is that she was just breathing hard and she was just going... That's how she was just breathing. You could tell she was dying. Literally, the nurses said, Mr. Lemon, your mother's organs are dying one by one. We knew she was going to be gone. And I remember I put my mother on the phone. I said, Mom, I said, listen, this is your baby. I was the only one born of my mother's womb. My other seven siblings came from another woman who died, and they were all very young. Then my father met my mother. They got married. My mother took over with the seven, and then I came into the world. I was the only one born from my mother's womb, and I'm on the phone with my mother, her baby. I said, Mom, this is your baby. I said, listen, go to sleep. I know my mother. My mother was fighting because mothers typically fight to take care of their babies. 
They want to be around for their babies, even though we're an adult and everything, and I'm moving on with my life, but nevertheless, mom just feels a need to be around for her baby. And I said, mom, this is your baby. Go to sleep. And I told mom to go ahead and go to sleep. Don't keep fighting it. I said, mom, go to sleep. And I said, mom, I'll see you in the morning. And I said, do you hear me? And my mother's last words, yes, Dwayne. I said, go to sleep. I love you. Hung up the phone, two o'clock in the morning, they called, they said, mom has died. But she died in Jesus. And therefore, we do not sorrow as others sorrow. You know, brothers and sisters, my mother and father were not able to be the ideal parents, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I was not the ideal child. I was a demon to my mother and my father. But I was grateful that God gave me enough probation to be an angel in their lives for the last few years of their lives. Parents, you may have messed up. You may have done some things wrong. And now we have children that we can see the spirit of rebellion in them. But God says it's not too late. The Bible says redeem the time for the days are evil. You have to understand our scripture reading. We have we have memory verses that we do for family worship. And our memory verse was Isaiah 49, 25 a couple of weeks ago. And we were talking about even though the captives of the mighty shall be taken away and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. And God promises, and I will contend with him that contendeth with thee and I will save thy children. You got to claim that promise as a parent to say, Lord, I messed up. I have not been like Mary and Joseph. I have not been like Elizabeth and Zacharias. Father, I have failed. But please, give me one more chance. And this time, by your grace, let me get it right. Let me be that mother and that father to my child that I was never privileged to be otherwise. And brothers and sisters, I promise you, whatever you want your child to be, be it yourself first. I want my children to be more spiritual. God says, they will be when you are. Oh, if only my children could obey the first time I call them. God says, when you obey the first time I call you, they'll start doing it. How many times have you heard the voice of Jesus tell you, get up. It's morning time. Get up. Let's have devotion. Lord, please, 10 more minutes, 20 more minutes, 30 more minutes. And then the time passes and now the time's gone and now you're up and you got to rush to go ahead and run with the day. And next thing you know, we tell our children, children, come downstairs. And they don't come. Children, come downstairs. The children don't come. Children, why is it that I have to call you three or four times? And God in his sweet, still, small voice says, because I have to keep calling you three or four times. God says, when you get it right, they'll get it right. Be what you want your children to be. You want them to be more spiritual? God says you be spiritual. You want them to be obedient? God says you be obedient. You will find, brothers and sisters, we will have a much better time because I love it when God promises that all the angels of heaven, if necessary, will come down and surround our children if we would simply cooperate with them. Why was Jesus so successful? Number one, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes. Number two, because he had godly parents. Brothers and sisters, for many of us who are parents, can we become those godly parents? If we haven't been, can we become those godly parents? Yes, we can. And you know what? I remember I told God, I said, well, my mother and my father are gone now. I don't have any parents anymore. And God just tapped me on the shoulder and he said, I'll be your mother. God said, I'll be your father. I'll be that parental guidance to you that your parents are not. And I say this to any young person who may be here and maybe mom and dad is not here. But you're saying to yourself, my mother and father are not godly people. They don't they don't spend time in the word. They don't do these things. Brothers and sisters, don't despair. God says, I'll be the mother. I'll be the father. I'll be everything that you need me to be until your mom and dad, by the grace, get it right. And my mother and father, they learned it late. But I thank God. Late is better than never. Number one, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, Jesus was also led by godly parents. But what else does the Bible say? Notice what else the Bible says as we consider another point, Luke chapter 2. In Luke 
chapter 2, what else enabled Jesus to have such powerful victory? Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, in verse 49, you remember Jesus, he went away, and as Jesus went away, he eventually got to a point where uh, his parents couldn't see him. I love the lesson in that because in his parents not being able to see him, you know, it's, it's actually a solemn lesson. How long did it take uh, Mother Mary and Daddy Joseph to find Jesus? Three days, right? How long did they take their eyes off of him? A moment. It's a solemn thought to think that when we take our eyes off of Jesus for a moment, it can take days before we get reconnected. Keep your eyes on Jesus, brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Whatever this world has to dish out to you, remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Stay. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. The crisis is coming. It's all around us, and we must practically prepare. But Jesus has given us instructions how to do it. Keep your eyes on Jesus through the process. Well, here it is. Eventually, they found him. And when they found him, they said, son, why did you do this to us? Why is it that we couldn't find you? And notice how Jesus answers in Luke 2, 49. The Bible says in Luke 2, 49, and he said unto them, how is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? And look at what he says. And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings. In her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with men. Jesus also, not only was he filled with the Holy Spirit, not only was he led by godly parental instruction and example, but Jesus also surrendered the will. Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. When Jesus went home, the Bible says he subjected himself to his parents. He did whatever they wanted him to do. He subjected himself to their will. Jesus lived a life that said, not my will, but thy will be done. Do you know that the surrender of the will is key when it comes to victory? Key. We need the Holy Spirit, no doubt about it. We need that godly parental instruction and example left before us. But brothers and sisters, we also need to understand what it is to surrender the will. What does it mean to surrender the will? I want you to think about this. Sometimes people are in despair and many begin to inquire, how shall I make the surrender of myself to God? People ask this question often. It is one thing to tell somebody, surrender everything to God. But brothers and sisters, sometimes people are saying, how? How do I do that? It's hard. Have you ever tried it? It's hard. Some people say it's hard. What does it mean really even to surrender the will? Well, let's notice. How am I to make the surrender of myself to God? It says you desire to give yourself to him. Now ask yourself if you have this experience. You desire to give yourself to him. You are weak in moral power, in slavery to doubt, and controlled by the habits of your life of sin. Can anybody relate to that? We can definitely relate to it. It goes on to say, your promises and resolutions are like ropes of sand. You ever made a promise to God and you broke it just as quick as sand can fall through your fingers? It then says you cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. The knowledge of your broken promises and forfeited pledges weakens your confidence in your own sincerity and causes you to feel that God cannot accept you. You ever been there? It's a sad place to be. You get to a point you mess up so much that you begin to confess your sins to God and you don't even feel sincere about it anymore. You say, Lord, I'm not even sorry for this. What's the point? I'm not failure. Satan is always whispering in our ears. You can't make it. You're not going to make it. And he does this. He does this to people who believe present truth. He does this to people who believe in the three angels messages. He does it all the time. He distracts us and he constantly discourages us. But notice, it says you need not despair. It says... You need not despair. So what do we need to understand? It says what we need to understand is the true force of the will. What is that? What is this true force of the will? It says this is the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision or of choice. That's something you have. It says everything depends on the right action of the will. 
the power of choice God has given to men, it is theirs to exercise. Remember I told you earlier, faith is ours to exercise. God has given you the ability to choose. You know, Jesus, when he saw himself getting ready to go on that cross and he saw that for the first time ever, brothers and sisters, we can't relate to this because our lives are so different. But by the grace of God, maybe we can one day very soon. Jesus always had access to his father. Always. The cross was going to be the first time ever that Jesus's father was going to turn his face from him. The Bible says your sins have caused God to turn his face from you that he will not hear. Brothers and sisters, Christ for the first time was going to have his father turn his face from him to the point that it caused him to break blood vessels in his head and blood dripped out mixed with sweat. That's the kind of pressure it brought on Jesus. And he did not want to go through it. And that's why he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus exercised the will. It says... You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections. But what you can do is choose to serve him. You can give him your will and he will then work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Steps to Christ. Page 48. Brothers and sisters. Jesus says to you and I. He says, I have given you the power to choose to do what's right. You won't feel it all the time. You're not going to. There are going to be several times in your Christian experience that you're going to be called to do things that are right. And you're not going to want to do it. You're just not going to want to. Let's just get it over with. You're not going to want to. As long as we're on this side of heaven, there are going to be times where things are going to call upon us that we should do. And we're not going to want to do it. But God says, choose to do it because it is right. And when we choose to do it, it says he will then work in us. To willing to do of his good pleasure, joyful feeling, and the blessings will come. And we will be happy about the choices we have made, ultimately, even in the by and by. These are three things that Jesus exercised. Jesus had a strong prayer life. Bible tells us, brothers and sisters, that when Jesus would pray, sometimes he would pray, and being in agony, he would pray more earnestly. Jesus' prayer life, Jesus' study life, Jesus surrendering the will, his choices, him being filled with the Spirit, his parental guidance. These were all things that were designed to help him overcome. And guess what? You can do the same thing. There is not one thing in the experience of Jesus that you cannot do. And that's why he says you can overcome as I overcame. Follow the pattern man. Follow the pattern man. If you follow the pattern man, you will find that you'll have the very same experiences that he had. It says through defects in the character, Satan works to gain control of the whole mind. And he knows that if these defects are cherished, he will succeed. Therefore, he is constantly seeking to deceive the followers of Christ with his fatal sophistry that it is impossible for them to overcome. Don't forget that. He's going to try to tell you, you can't do it. Give up. It's a waste of time. Can't do it. But brothers and sisters, when you fall, get back up again. If you fall, if you fall, if you fall, just get back up again. Keep pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. And so you will find that we are told Christ took humanity and bore the hatred of the world that he might show men and women that they could live without sin. That their words, their actions, their spirit might be sanctified to God. We can be perfect Christians if we will manifest this power in our lives. When the light of heaven rests upon us continually, we shall represent Christ. Upward look, page 303. If it is your desire... To say, Jesus, I want you to live out your life within me. To say, Lord, I won't make excuses for sin. I see your pattern. You were filled with the Holy Spirit. You were governed by parental godly instruction. 
Some of you young people, you might have parents in here who have really been on the straight and narrow path, but maybe for some reason we've been rebelling. Brothers and sisters, young people, I'm especially saying to you, don't give your parents a hard time. They're trying to keep you on the road that is straight and narrow, and it's going to get even more narrow as we get ready to enter into heaven, heavenly Canaan. But they're doing it because they love you. My children often, Daddy, can we go to Six Flags like everybody else? And I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. Sometimes there are people in our churches. I was at a church the other time, and, and a man was going to his friend and said, Hey, I'm taking my children to Six Flags tomorrow. And I was thinking to myself, Do we not understand God's counsel? Sometimes my children, Dad, why can't I go to Six Flags? And I tell my children, I say, Well, when you look at a police officer, their job is to protect the communities that they serve. When you look at a fireman, a fireman's job is to make sure that fires get put out or don't even get started so people's lives and properties are not destroyed. I said, when you look at the president of the United States, his job is to make sure that the United States is a country that is safe for the citizens to dwell. But God has given you a job higher than a police officer, than a fireman, and even the president of the United States. God has brought you into this world to get the world ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, there is a specific training that we must give you. My oldest son, he would ask for an iPod. Dad, can I have an iPod? I said, well, I'll tell you what. If you want an iPod, I said, just tell me this. I said, I want you to write on a paper, tell me five reasons what you're going to use it for. So he started to write things down. My son is very clever, very clever. I don't know where he got it from, but he's definitely clever. And I said, son, I said, here's what I want you to do. He wrote down five reasons because I was hoping he wasn't even going to write down five reasons. I hope I was just going to win the battle right there. But he did. He wrote down five reasons. Oh, well, dad, I can I can do this and I can do that and I can do this. And, you know, he's trying to be like real logical with me, you know, and I was just like, oh, OK, OK. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, now I want you to show me five ways that your use of this iPod is going to help you better know how to stand true to God during the investigative judgment. He said, hmm, all right, let me think about that. And then he walks away. He couldn't come back with the five strong reasons. And I said, well, son, you have to understand, I don't believe that an iPod is sinful, but I know, people, I know most people use iPods in sinful manners. As an example, it's possible, it's possible to be in a religious meeting and someone could be using an iPod or iPad or an iPhone or any of those things, and they're not doing things that's helping them understand what the speaker is talking about. That is a sinful behavior. You're supposed to be focused when the preacher's preaching. If children as young as six and eight years old can understand the three angels' messages, there's no excuse for anybody here. I told my son, I said, son, a lot of these devices, we're told in Great Controversy 519 that Satan well knows that those whom he can get to neglect prayer and the searching of the scriptures will be overcome by his attack. It says, therefore, he invents all sorts of devices. There are a lot of devices that people are using today that is more of a distraction unit. It's not a sinful unit. It's just a distraction unit. It keeps their minds off of Jesus. It keeps their mind off of God's truth. It keeps them from being productive children of God. I told my son, I said, son, there is a special training we have to give you. You are preparing the world for the second coming of Jesus. And by the way, that's not just my son. That's every single one of you. Every single one of you in this room. The reason you still have breath in your body is because God, number one, wants you to stand true to him. While this investigative judgment is about to close. Number two, he wants to work in and through you to get the world ready for the second coming of Jesus. That's your mission. Some of you are going to do it in the workplace. Some of you are going to do it in full-time ministry. Some of you might even do it within the denomination. But God is going to use everybody. This is the great work that the Lord has called us to do. To get to the world, the first, the second, and the third angel's message. And the great goal of all three angels' messages is that we may enter into an experience with Jesus that we can stand true to him during this investigative judgment. And that's why Christ says, I cannot trust it unto anybody else. I myself will come down and take upon myself sinful flesh. 
and I will offer myself as a sacrifice and I will ascend into the sanctuary above so that they can know how to overcome as I overcame. And just to imagine that the God of heaven and earth is now yours and my elder brother. And my big brother, I remember I was on my way to school one time and there was this girl who was a bully and she wasn't, she wasn't a regular kind of girl. She was a big girl. She was a big muscular woman. I don't know what kind of, I don't know what her lineage is or anything, but all I know is that she was a big, tough looking sister. And I remember that she just was bothering, beating up all the kids in school. And, you know, I was the kind of kid that I wasn't afraid of anybody, but I knew who I could beat and who I couldn't. And I couldn't beat her. And I remember I went to school one day. And when I went to school, my brother was not there with me. And that young lady started to bother me. And she started to bother me and it got to a point that I wanted to get my big brother on her. So I went back home and I told my big brother and he told me, you point her out to me and you let me see her next time and I'll straighten her out. And it was amazing to watch how this whole thing transpired in school. She was a different kind of girl. I mean, normally guys shouldn't touch girls or anything like that, but she just seemed like one of these major exceptions. I mean, she was just beating people up. (laughs) But it was amazing how I remember when my brother came to school with me. And when my brother came to school with me, I felt so secure because I was like, I know that my big brother is on my side and he has my back. And he certainly was able to squash it. He didn't have to touch her or anything like that, but he just made it clear. Do not touch my brother again or there will be some serious ramifications. (laughs) And she left me alone. Brothers and sisters, we are living in the time of the anti-typical Day of Atonement. We are getting ready to see some scenes in this earth that's going to break out. The natural mind is not ready to comprehend it. I wish there was a way that all of you, and I thank God for Audioverse and all these things because I wish there was a way, I appreciate you all coming here, but I, I really wish you would hear Pastor Davis as he shares the points that he's sharing as well. Because God, he was one of God's instruments that God used to very strongly affect my life many years ago. Many years ago. And I'm telling you, when you understand how close is close, you will begin to see whatever I must do, I must do it quickly. It won't be long before we're going to see this world break out in a very horrible crisis. Horrible. And it's only because of God's grace and mercy that he's holding the winds back right now because he sees that there are some people who's going to be even here at Western Youth Conference that are going to leave different from how they came in. Praise God for his mercy. And what I'm saying to you is, please, don't let these efforts have been in vain. Hear the voice of the shepherd and follow him wheresoever he may lead. Because I'm telling you, You have an older brother that is in that most holy place. He is on your side. And he simply says, stick close to me. If you stick close to me, you don't have to worry about what's getting ready to take place. I will be your shield and your buckler, but stick close to me. And the way the Bible puts it, the Bible says, abide in me. And if you abide in Christ... 1 John 3, 6 says, any man who abides in Christ sinneth not. And you will have victory and you will overcome as Christ overcame. And your name shall remain. Amen. Let us seal this decision and this experience with prayer as we fall on our knees before God. And plead with him, Lord, do something special in my life so that I may overcome as Christ overcame. Please, let's kneel together. I'm going to give us a moment to silently pray in our hearts. Whatever it may be that easily besets us, let us open our hearts to him and let him take it away. And when he takes it away, don't try to take it back. Cooperate with him. And let God finish his work within us.
to reflect that lovely image. We're praying silently. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have shown us clearly from your words of inspiration that we truly can overcome as Christ overcame. Thank you for Jesus being such a wonderful example to us. Thank you that he was willing to come down on his earth, on this earth, and to take upon sinful flesh, and that he would live life as a human being, understanding temptation, but through the power of your spirit, resisting every single one of them, to the point that the close of his life is stated that he was tempted in all points, and yet he did no sin. Father, I'm thankful that that testimony is not limited to Jesus alone. But because he did it, he now dwells in the sanctuary above to enable us to do it through his power and through his strength. Father, I pray that you will please remove the thought and remove from our lips the sophistries of Satan that it is impossible to overcome. But because Jesus did it, we can truly say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Father, I pray that as we begin to surrender the will, as we're going to ask for your spirit and let him function according to his agenda rather than our own, Lord, as we accept the parental guidance that you will lead all parents to do, that as they cooperate with you, the children will cooperate as well, that there'll be little Isaacs, that even when Abraham said to get up upon the altar, that he may be sacrificed, and Isaac was so obedient that he didn't even run. Lord, please let that spirit be within every young person under the sound of my voice. And Father, for those of us who have times have messed up as parents and we have not done what we should have been doing according to the duty that you've laid before us, please forgive us, Father. Help us, Lord, to redeem the time. And for those of us who have parents no longer with us, thank you for being that mother and that father to us. And may we follow your parental leading. And Lord, I thank you that in all these things, by your grace and by your power, when Jesus finishes that work in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, Lord God in heaven, please help us to be counted amongst the faithful that will look upon you and say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. Keep us faithful unto this end, we ask, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.